One of the reasons I had the liturgist read today's passage from Luke is because, if I'm honest, that passage makes me crazy. It's a really hard story for me to read. I know it's been a rough few days for the guys as they walked on the road to Emmaus, but still, they got to experience firsthand what we spend a lifetime waiting to experience. They got what all of us want, a real encounter with Jesus. And yet when he's standing right next to them in the flesh, talking with them, walking with them, they could not see him. They were too busy lamenting all that had taken place and grieving what would never be. He was right there with them. And they could not see it, could not accept it, could not receive it. You see, part of me likes to think that if Jesus were standing right next to us, right now, seated next, to you, seated next to you in your pew, we would see him. Part of me likes to think that we would recognize if he sat next to us or stood next to us or made his way into our lives. I'd like to think that 2,000 years later, with a graduate education, with, with degrees and, and accomplishments and knowledge, that knowing how the story ends, we, of all people, would be able to see Jesus. I'd like to think that. But the more I think about it and study this passage and think about you, I'm not so sure if we would. Because the things that blinded those two guys on the road are the same things that blind us today. Maybe, perhaps, maybe they were too preoccupied with the destination to notice a blessing along the way. Maybe their frustration at the injustice of Jesus' death had blinded them with rage so they could not see. Maybe they were too worried about the big things like Rome and their family and their jobs to to notice a little thing like a stranger on a road. Maybe they were too consumed with the past to live in the present or too worried about the future to notice what was happening today. I know I'm not describing any of you, but maybe, or... Maybe that voice in their head was talking again and was telling them that, I'm sorry, but you, you just aren't worthy, worthy enough to see God. Whatever the reason for their blindness, and they are blind to God's presence in their midst, Jesus does not give up on the two guys. They are blind, and he has helped them, helped come to help them see, and so he stays with them for a whole day until he can perform the miracle that will open their eyes. Richard Rohr is a Catholic priest who writes a lot about contemplation, or as he defines it, the practice of being aware, of, of noticing God's presence in all things. To reinforce the importance of this practice, before he celebrates communion with his parishioners, Father Rohr always tells people that there is no prerequisite, no understanding required for them to come forward to the table. The only thing that he identifies they need to embrace is a capacity, a capacity and openness for presence. For him, the work of spirituality, which makes this presence, this understanding possible, is the work of keeping the heart opened, the mind in the right place, and the body living inside this present moment. Present people 
People who are in the moment they are in, he argues, will know the presence. Present people will know God's presence. And nothing, in my experience, has the power to ground us in the present moment more than the simple yet powerful act of giving thanks. Forty-five years ago, two men landed on the moon. This you know. What you may not know is that as Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin prepared to take one small step for man, Aldrin wanted to commemorate the moment, the experience, the event, in a way that he found meaningful. Prior to liftoff, Aldrin, an elder at Webster Presbyterian Church in Webster, Texas, spoke to his pastor to figure out a way to symbolize the wonder and awe of the moon landing and to express his gratitude for being part of this historic event. What Aldrin and his pastor came up with was the idea of celebrating communion on the moon. The communion bread and wine, symbols of everyday life, seemed a fitting way to celebrate the extraordinary moment of a man landing and walking on the moon. So Aldrin's pastor equipped him with a piece of communion bread, a sip of wine, and a tiny silver chalice. A few days later, as he prepared to take communion on the moon, this is what Aldrin said. Houston, this is Eagle. This is the LM pilot speaking. I would like to request a few moments of silence. I would like to invite each person listening in, wherever and whomever they may be, to contemplate for a moment the events of the past few hours and to give thanks to God in his own individual way. We typically see the story of the road to Emmaus, the story of Jesus appearing to two travelers, as a story about the power of communion. After all, we hear echoes of this passage whenever we celebrate the Lord's Supper, and they became known to him, we sometimes say, in the breaking of the bread. But this story, if we look at it closely, is about something more powerful than communion. You may have missed it. It's easy to miss it. But it was before he gave them the bread that I think Jesus performed the miracle that opened their eyes. Years after his trip to the moon, Buzz Aldrin came to believe that he should have chosen a more universal way to commemorate the achievement of landing on the moon since it was first and foremost for all of humankind. Perhaps if I had to do it over again, he wrote in his memoir, I would not choose to celebrate communion. Although it was a deeply meaningful experience for me, it was a Christian sacrament. And we had come to the moon in the name of all mankind, be they Christians, Jews, Muslims, animists, agnostics, or atheists. But at the time, I could think of no better way to acknowledge the enormity of the Apollo 11 experience than by giving thanks to God. Communion is not about bread and wine. Communion is about giving thanks. The two men in today's story recognized Jesus not because they had a really good loaf of bread. They recognized him because he had blessed the bread. He had given thanks to God before he gave it to them. When he took ordinary bread and blessed it with a prayer of thanksgiving of some sorts, he did something that every single one of us has the capacity to do. He he gave thanks in the moment, in the present, 
for the simplest and tiniest of blessings. The miracle today's story then is not some complicated prayer or some extreme act of faith or some hocus pocus. The miracle today's story is the simple yet powerful practice of gratitude. It was the practice of giving thanks that enabled the two guys to see God. When we practice gratitude in the present moment, we see God. Some years ago, I may have told this story, but I love it so much. Some years ago, Fred Rogers, the man you know as Mr. Rogers, a Presbyterian pastor, by the way, was invited to Hollywood to receive a special Emmy. When Mr. Rogers stood up to speak to a room filled with stars and celebrities, he took out a pocket watch and announced that he was going to keep 30 seconds of silence. Folks, listen, this was Mr. Rogers. You did what he told. During that time, he invited everyone in the room, celebrities and famous folks, to remember, to take a moment to remember in that moment all the people in their lives that helped them get to where they are today. Instead of telling them to feel more connected to their church or to their God or to those they loved, he simply asked them to give thanks silently for all the people in their lives. The room grew quiet as the seconds ticked away. And before Fred Rogers tucked away his watch, all you could hear in the room were people sniffling as they wiped away tears of joy for those who had helped them along the way. When we practice gratitude for the tiniest of things, we see God. I have never said thank you and felt worse after. Whenever I feel entitled, though, things start to break down. Every time we say thank you for big things and little things, our eyes, I believe, are open just a little bit more to see God in our midst, to see God in our life, working on our behalf, empowering us to love and to serve. We don't need a table or sacraments to experience God. God is with us all the time. I was talking to Eric this week about the sermon, and he told me something I'd forgotten. Every week, he said, when the youth and adult volunteers of this church go to the Dominican Republic, every time they go, every year they go, at some point during the week, they ask him the same question. Eric, how can these people who have so little be so much happier than those of us who have so much? Why are they so happy and I'm so stressed? Every time they visit the people of the Dominican They are dumbfounded by how the men, women, and children they are there to serve, who lack so much of what we take for granted, are so thankful for what they do have. Despite having so little, they seem to see and to feel and to trust that all in some miracle will be well. Despite being the ones in need, they are the ones who are filled with joy. The poet Christian Wyman was recently asked if his unusual attention to detail was a talent or skill that he had acquired over time. His response, I think, was interesting. This is what he said. Attention, like spiritual awareness, cannot be completely willed. There's an element of giveness to it, of grace, which means that attentiveness has a passive quality to it as well as an active one. 
The world will come to you. God will come to you. But only if you are open enough to receive it. I think the kids who go to the Dominican have figured something out. They figured out why it's difficult for people like you and me who are successful, who've done well with our lives, why it's hard for us to practice gratitude. Here's why I think it's hard for us. Saying thank you for the tiniest of blessings requires that we acknowledge that we are the ones on the receiving end of things, that we are the one who is being given the gift. And we don't like, if we're honest, being on the receiving end of things. We much rather do and give and help than receive what someone else has to offer. To acknowledge that a loaf of bread or a timely phone call from a friend or a new job or a clean bill of health or an amazing song on the radio that played at just the right time or a beautiful day or the laughter of a child or the hand of a friend or a really good burrito Sorry, my priorities are way off. Everything, everything that brings you joy is a gift. Every single thing. They are all gifts from God. But it's hard for us who have been taught and trained that we are in charge, that we make our own destiny, and that we can make it on our own. It's hard for us to have the humility to admit that. And yet, No matter our stubbornness and pride, this is the miracle, no matter how stubborn and resistant we might be to say thank you for the gift, every time we practice gratitude, every time we say thank you, our eyes are open just a little bit more to see God in our lives. It never fails. Every time we say thank you, we see God. Today, in a few moments, we're going to have the chance to practice gratitude through the making of our financial commitments to the church. Before we do that, though, I want to say something very important. Giving is primarily a spiritual practice, not a financial one. Don't get me wrong. We need your money. It helps. Please give and give generously. But that is secondary to the primary reason we call you to give. So if it's your first Sunday here, if you're visiting, you just walked off the street and you're like, really, Reformation Sunday, giving cards, pledge cards, what is all this? This is your first day. Or if you've been coming for a while, but you're still trying to figure out this is where you want to belong, this is where you want to commit to. Or if you are unable to or don't want to make a pledge today or make an offering or make a pledge for next year's ministries and mission, that's okay. That's more than okay. But while others are writing down how much they're going to give or signing their checks or getting their money ready to bring forward in a moment, while they're doing that, I want you to take the pledge card, flip it over, and write down a few things again, that you're thankful for. A few things that you want to say thank you to God for being given. And the reason I want you to do that is I don't want you to miss the chance to see God. We do this coming forward thing because when I see you all coming forward and putting the pledge cards and the checks in the baskets, I'm sure Eric feels the same way. I'm overwhelmed that you'd want to support us and this, you're busy, your life's complicated, you've got financial demands, I know that, and yet you're willing to take some of your money that you work for and entrust it to, to us and to elected leaders to do God's work. I, I'm amazed. Every single time, I'm amazed. And I, I see you differently. I, I see God in you. 
God is always with us, each and every day. That's the truth that I have staked my life upon. God is not distant or disinterested. God is with you, with me, in everything, giving us what we need to complete the journey, to experience joy, and to know that our lives are in God's more than capable hands. When we are generous, when we practice gratitude, we see God. Thank you for all the ways you give.